Episode 33. This episode brought to you by ReelsandTackle.com, your family-owned online tackle store. Welcome to the Telltale Fisherman Podcast, where avid anglers share the story of their best fishing day ever to inspire yours. Now it's time for another epic adventure. So here's your host, John Woodson. Okay, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Mike McCoy coming to us from Ohio. Mike, how you doing? Uh, great. Thank you a lot for uh, having me on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's our pleasure, and uh, we got a lot of interesting things to talk about with you. Um, uh, one of the first and foremost being that you are an FLW tour angler. Uh, that's going to be really neat to to hear about. But before we jump into all of that, uh, just give us a little background on yourself, you know, kind of where you grew up and, and how you got into fishing. Gotcha. Well, you know, first and foremost, you know, I'm a, I was born in Pittsburgh as a kid, so I'm a huge football fan, huge Steeler pirate, mm-hmm. Penguins fan, so I love, I love Pittsburgh sports. And uh, you know, my parents moved us to Florida early on, so from like 10 to I'd say about 20 or so, 22, I, I, I lived in Florida and, and grew up doing a lot of uh, saltwater fishing and, and golf course pond fishing. Oh, yeah. And then uh, it was, uh, I mean, in Florida, those golf course ponds can be really, really good. So you get kind of addicted to it. But uh, at age 22, I, I joined the Marine Corps and, um, you know, put kind of fishing on hold for a while and, and, and served my country for a little, little under 14 years. And Wow. Um, you know, it, it was a great experience. I, I, I got out, uh, I got hurt, uh, while on active duty. It was non-combat related and nothing crazy like that. It's just, um, I'm, I'm huge into sports. So I was actually playing the, uh, uh, intramural softball tournament and I kind of hurt myself, uh, my ankle, uh, playing softball. And after a bunch of surgeries and a bunch of physical therapy, you know, 9-11 had just happened. So they, uh, they pretty much needed healthy people to fill those uh, overseas bullets, and I couldn't do it. I could do my job, but I couldn't, you know, I was an administrator and a recruiter for the Marine Corps, but I, I couldn't do Marine things. So I, I couldn't run, I couldn't carry a path, I couldn't do things like that because my ankle prohibited me. So um, I ended up getting out of the Marine Corps uh, with, a, with a medical discharge, you know, honorable discharge, mm-hmm. and uh, moved, to, moved to Florida and started a business, uh, lawnmates and landscaping business for a few years, where I had the opportunity to be right next to one of the best fisheries in the in the United States, being Lake Okeechobee. Oh, yeah. And uh, spent uh, 150 days a year on that lake for almost four years during the hurricane season. Um, <laughs> that, was the, that was the time where all the big storms came through, and we had uh, three hurricanes that hit within a matter of... Uh, I'd say about uh, 13 months we had three hurricanes. So, I remember that, yes. Yeah, so it was uh, it was a nice little introduction to be back to Florida and my wife's real first experience with <laughs> with that type of uh, severe weather. So <laughs> yeah, after <right. laughs> after yeah, ha- happy happy life, happy wife. Right? Well, welcome so, to uh, Florida. Here's your hurricane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, after you know, after taking into consideration her thoughts and feelings, we decided to move uh, closer to her parents, which were right down the road from their parents. We live in Menor, Ohio now. We've been here about ten years, and you know, although the summers here are beautiful, we're getting ready to head into the worst part of living up here, which is the winter time. But uh, it's an even trade off, and um, good thing about it is that I get to go fish during the winter months, so I'm pretty much not up here anymore during the winter, which is nice. So just got to deal with it for a little while. All right, so that's that's your uh, your tour season during the colder months. 
Yeah, um, and it starts off, and you know, right now we're we're getting everybody's putting in deposits and everything, getting ready to just tour and getting ready to put my deposits in as well for next year. And it starts kicks off typically in January, February time frame, and it lasts all the way through June. And um, spend a lot of time on the road, a lot of time, you know, promoting sponsors and, and fishing tournaments and, and traveling. And um, you know, the wife's happy to get me out of her hair for a few months here and there. So. <laughs> It's uh, it's a it's a really pleasant experience, but at the same time, it's draining. I've got three kids, and you know, they like to do things like sports and, and activities and stuff. So it hurts a little bit being on the road as much as I am. Yeah, yeah. Well, so tell us a little bit about how you made that transition. You know, how did you get into to tournament fishing and doing this? You know, several months out of the year like that. Yeah. So I mean, I guess my earliest introduction to bass fishing. Um, you know, I told you, grew up as a saltwater guy mostly then than anything, but uh, when I recruited for the Marine Corps, I recruited in a little town called Brooksville, Florida, and um, I recruited there for three years, and the kids that I was recruiting were heavily involved in the outdoors, so I thought if I could learn how to do this stuff and get back into it, it would be a great way to meet kids, to recruit them into the Marine Corps, and, and sure enough, I was right. I Interesting. Had that I, yeah, I had this one kid that I was putting in, and his dad had a bass boat, and you know, we went fishing one time. It only took one time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before you know it, I'm, I'm buying my own boat. I'm back into it. I'm fishing. So um, 1997 is when I first started fishing uh, club tournaments and local stuff like that. And I uh, started fishing the uh, the lower level FLW events like the BFLs and the, and the at the time the, it was the Everstarts and the, and the Spencers and now they're the Coasters. So those... Uh, doing a lot of that stuff out of the, you know, some of it out of the front of the boat, being a co-angler out of the back of the boat, some of the bigger events. And, and then, you know, you, you want to get to the next level. So, you know, what's the natural next level? It's, uh, you know, it's fishing out of the back of the boat in, in the highest tour available, which is the FLW tour at the time. And, um, did that for a number of years. And then last year, or actually two years before that, uh, you know, 2016, um, I vowed to fish my last year ever out of the back of anybody's boat and I was going to make the transition. So mm-hmm. in 2017, which is this year, I, I managed to put myself in a pretty good position and with the help of family, friends, and sponsors, I was able to actually uh, make that transition, which is a very, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard transition to make, but if you've got support, um, it makes it a, a lot easier. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about how that how that works, and uh, you know uh, what the what the difference is, you know, because when you're when you're a co angler, you, you pretty well just go where the uh, where the where the boat owner goes. But when you know you're up in the front and it's your boat, I mean, it just changes everything, right? I mean, the way you prepare and and, and everything's different at that point, right? Oh, oh yeah, it's a it's a totally different perspective, and you know fishing out of the back of the boat you, you meet a lot of great people and um but you learn a lot of things uh, both good and bad in other words what to do and what not to do so mm-hmm. as we're going through and uh you know kind of deciphering and figuring out whether it's something that you want to do uh for the rest of your life or just to try out you know, you're always gauging um you know throughout the year is do i need to make the jump and then you know, you think you're prepared and you think you're ready to make the jump. And when you make the jump, you know, a lot of people say, well, did you feel starstruck or did you feel, you know, any, any kind of difference with regard to fishing? And the answer to that is no. I mean, I've either fished against these guys or out of the back of their boats for years. Mm-hmm. So I actually had a lot of acquaintances going into fishing and some of them were actually really uh, happy that, that I made the jump. You know, so uh, awesome. the preparation, yeah, the preparation aspect of it though is completely different, you know, 
um, the way I typically did it because of my work schedule or what I was doing, you know, it was easy to be the guy in the back of the boat. All you mm-hmm. do is show up, you, you, you go fishing, and at the end of the at the end of the tournament, you know, the chips fell where they fell, and you finish where you finished, and you go back to your regular life of working a nine to five type job, and yep. then, you know, go to the next and go to the next one. Well, you know, when, when you're fishing out of the front of the boat, that's you know what you're doing. You're you're always uh, preparing for that next you know, tournament, that next, you know, lake, the next cast, the next, you know, whatever, everything's always the next. So it's it's nothing happens without something else happening. So it's a big culmination of preparation, hard work, execution, and uh, hopefully the the results show at the, at the end of the tournament that that you did all the right things. And that doesn't always happen. Yeah. And I bet when, when it all goes well and all falls into place, it's even more satisfying, you know, when you've had to put in all that legwork leg to make it happen. I'll let you know when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come haven't, on now. Haven't been, haven't been privileged enough to have uh, that one magical day uh, in a tournament uh, as far as, you know, where everything or magical three days or four days or whatever the event is. But, uh, you know, you, you got to refine it down to decision making and, you know, at the end of the event, when you look back and you, you're adding perspective to everything, you, you, you kind of dissect it and figure out what you did right, what you did wrong. You know, not second guessing yourself, but just, you know, building the case so that you either don't make that same mistake or that you parlay what you did into the next event and maybe make it a better event for you. So I, I had a pretty rough 2017 out of the front of the boat. And I'll be the first one to tell you, it wasn't for lack of preparation. It wasn't for lack of knowledge it wasn't for lack of execution it just nothing nothing went right and you know no matter if you prepared as much as you could prepare or if you snap studied or researched you know the fish are the fish and uh, you know when it all comes down to it it's not like a golfer that has to read a green and put a ball in a hole what what i'm looking for and what every fisherman is looking for is a living creature that moves and does what it wants to do no matter how much you think you've got it figured out yep it can always change on you Absolutely. Well, hopefully uh, you, you'll get as many good things uh, coming your way as, as it was tough, you know, the first year. And I think that's kind of how it normally happens, right, is you, you have to go through that curve to get there eventually. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, the, the learning curve itself is pretty big. It's not that you, you know, don't know how to fish or that you you forgot anything. It's It's taking into consideration that there's more at stake and the, the pressures that you, you're dealing with are a little, uh, a little, a, a lot greater in magnitude with, yeah. uh, with the, the ramifications of what happens based off of what you just did. So if I decide I'm going to go, uh, from spot A to spot B and spot A didn't pan out, spot B didn't pan out, I better have a spot C, D, mm-hmm. and E, you know, and as you go down the line. Well, it's, it's, uh, probably the highest highs and the lowest lows of fishing, I bet. Yeah, definitely. And I, I will tell you this, there were almost opportunities this year that would have, that would have, if everything had worked out right, you know, uh, could have been really spectacular. But I'll tell you what, it's one drive from one tournament to back home or to the next tournament where you have a real chance to sit back and say, what the heck just happened, you know? So mm-hmm. there's uh, a lot of chances to beat yourself up o- over the course of the season uh, when things don't go right. So when they do go right, even if it's a small little portion of your day that went right you've got to really surround it and you know celebrate it and and take what you can from it because you know that you don't know when the next right thing is going to happen you need to prepare for it but you never know when the next opportunity is going to arrive 
Yeah. Now that sounds like uh, great advice for a lot of aspiring tournament anglers out there. You know, you got to focus on the positive because the negative will tear you up, I bet. No, for sure. Yeah. And if, and if you let it tear you up, it, it changes your mindset. And it, it, you know, confidence is one of the biggest things that you can have in, in the game of fishing. And whether it's, whether it's fun fishing or, or a club level tournament or even at the highest level of the elites in the FLW tour, if you, if you don't have confidence, it, it just, it, it seeps into your, your mindset and it, 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 it kind of takes that, that foundation away, you know, for whatever you built up for each tournament. Well, when we get back, Mike is going to share an epic freshwater fishing story with us. Stay tuned. If you ever go fishing by yourself, it adds a little bit extra challenge to get the boat on and off the trailer. A boat launch cord makes launching much easier so you can get on the water quicker and without damaging your boat. Go to tell.fish slash gear in your web browser and check out the boat launch cord that we like the best. But remember, it works a lot better if you attach it to your trailer before you back the boat in the water. All right, we are back with Mike McCoy, and um, we've been talking about uh, what it's like to be a tournament angler and the and the challenges and and uh, just what what that's all about in the first half of the interview. But now we're going to talk about one of his most epic freshwater days, and I'm really excited to hear about it. So, Mike, just uh, tell us you know, where you were fishing and, and kind of what was going on that day. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, really recently, it, I hate to say it, but it's been, it was the most epic time, but uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I actually had one of the best days of fishing I've had uh, probably ever. And it wasn't in a tournament. It wasn't, uh, you know, one of those laid on the line kind of deals. It was just me and a buddy that just went out and we decided we were actually going to try to catch a bunch of fish drop shotting because it was the you know, fall. You're thinking they're going to, I'll start to pile up on uh, isolated rocks and clumps and feed up on bait and stuff for the winter before the ice came. And uh, what we initially thought going into it ended up turning out to be totally different before the end of the day. But I'll tell you what, the results were uh, were more than I could have hoped for. And it was just a really, really special day of fishing on uh, Lake Ontario, uh, right in the bay at Shimo Bay up in New York. And it was just a phenomenal largemouth and smallmouth experience. Wow. So, so you say you went into that day thinking that, uh, it was going to be all about the drop shot and that turned out not to be the case, huh? Yeah. It's almost like going into the tournament with a preconceived notion on how you really want to catch the fish and then the fish Mm -hmm. don't want to cooperate. So, um, the positive that my buddy and I took out of that tournament or the, the, uh, the, the fishing day was, you know, same thing in the tournament is if, you know, you, you try to force them to, to eat something they don't want to eat, you know, you're going to come and have a, a pretty bad day. So we made some adjustments. We found out where they were really holding, where we were fishing in, you know, 12 to 15 feet of water, which is where they weren't. We, we moved up and they were actually shallow. And they were, uh, and I say they, I mean, both the smallmouth and the largemouth were congregated on one little strip of grass point. And uh, we went over that grass point for the remainder of the day and absolutely just went to town on them with, uh, with a swim bait. And it was just a phenomenal day the way they were hitting the bait. It was just unreal. Is, is that pretty unusual that the large and smallmouth bass would congregate in the same place? Because my, my understanding is, the, not be, you know, being a Florida guy, not getting to fish for smallmouth much at all, that uh, they tend to uh, fo- stay in the deeper water, whereas the largemouth will be shallow. Well, you know, common perception would be, you know, to each his own and, we're, you know, segregation almost. We're going to stay over here. You stay over there. We'll all live in harmony. 
but uh, in all actuality, you fish are fish, and they're gonna mm-hmm. they're opportunistic. And if the the bait is in a certain area, or or the good um, you know forage or feeding areas, or even cover that they want to sit in is in one area, and the rest of it is is either void or there, you know there's no bait or there's no good cover, they'll congregate where they congregate. And I'll, I'll just give you a quick example. Um, going into the, you know uh, a tournament uh, this year. Uh, on the FLW tour, I was fishing um, the Mississippi River up at La Crosse, Wisconsin. And during mm-hmm. that day, you could actually go through and catch uh, a small, they were, they were all betting, and you could catch a small mouth on one cast and less than a rod length away, uh, catch a large mouth on another cast. And what they were doing oh, wow. is they were using, yeah, they were using each other's uh, spawning beds to, uh, to, to make baby fish. And basically, uh-huh. uh, they would spawn right next to each other. But the funny thing was is if you caught a large mouth, uh, on a day, uh, the day before and go back, there would be a small mouth on the bed. So the small mouth are a little bit more opportunistic with huh. regard to maybe being the more aggressive of the two. And they would push the large mouth out. Um, but in this day, the, 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 the epic day that we had just a couple weeks ago, you know, it, it didn't matter. They were all feeding on the same bait. They were all living in harmony. And it was, it, it was very uh, undiscriminate of, of which one was going to bite when, you know, you could, you could just go down the line and, and pick them off and man, they, they were really eating good because they would you know hit the bait so hard they not three or four feet of slack in the line and it was it was just a phenomenal day where we caught a ton of fish yeah so tell us about uh some of the fish you were pulling in i we were talking a little before and uh, it was all good size ones right yeah they were all you know my partner caught and i say my partner my buddy he caught you know one that was well over five and a half pounds it was a large mouth I mm-hmm. caught a large mouth that was just under five pounds, and then we had a sprinkling of fat football-sized smallmouths that were better than mm-hmm. uh, four and four and a half to four and three quarter pounds. And wow. you know, the our, yeah, our heaviest five fish because we kept them all and weighed them at the end of the day and let them go. But our heaviest five went uh, you know, twenty-three point four eight pounds, and we you know while we were on the water culling them out to get to that to that weight we actually threw back another 20 pound limit and caught probably about 27 fish the whole day so like i said it was just a really really good day and the way they were they were just so aggressive and hitting it's just like man you just couldn't wait to get that next bite you knew it was coming it was just perfect <laughs> and it, you know throwing that swim bait is something something when they're on it, it it's a really really magical uh magical bait and, you know um, you know, the, the, and I can tell you who made it if you want, but I mean, yeah, it's just, sure. You know, uh, Z-Man makes a really good, uh, swim bait. It's called a grass kickers and, uh, they were hitting the Houdini color and they were also, you know, uh, pretty partial to the, to the smoky shad color. And I was, I was actually throwing it on an exposed Hayabusa, uh, fishing hooks. Uh, they call it a power Delta. It was a, it was a swim bait hook, a exposed swim bait hook. It's a quarter ounce. And, you know, I, I didn't miss a fish all day. They ate it real well. And I'll be honest with you, you could have thrown, my partner was throwing a bunch of different stuff too, but you could have thrown just about anything in there and they would have hit it. But it was just, I mean, it was that remarkable of a day that um, I was, he was throwing fluorocarbon line. I was throwing braid. So I think I got the better of the benefit because, you know, the water was just, just cloudy enough that you could get away with using braid and the, the, oh, the strikes, yeah. the, the strikes that I would get were more violent in my opinion. So I had a, I actually had a, a, a better exciting day, if you will, but he caught, he caught just as many fish as I did using, you know, various different baits and stuff. But it, it was just one of those, those, uh, magical days that, you know, you, you wish you could go out every time and have one, especially if you were fishing like day three of a, 
of an FLW tournament, try to make the top 10, you know, to, or, or maybe a final magical day, you know, trying to win the thing. You know, it seems like in every tournament, there's somebody that finds maybe not that epic of fishing, but they find one spot somewhere where they kind of get to, you know, where it's almost like that. Um, you, you know, do you think it's that there's always one spot on the lake where the where the fish are hidden? You know, it's it is. It's funny, and the the answer, the simplest answer to that question is: Have you ever seen a tournament where somebody didn't win it? <laughs> yeah, somebody right. somebody's gonna win it. So they they always find, and you know, there's always somebody on the lake that that either has that that you know home home lake knowledge, or they found something special. Uh, you hear about that magical tree or stump or grass line that just produces a bunch of fish. And, and basically all it is is a culmination of, you know, where, where, what, what season are we in? Um, what do we think they bite? What are local colors and, and, and baits that work well in the area? And then mm-hmm. trying to you know decipher all that information to really narrowing it down based on map study and things like that of where those fish should be at that particular time. And, and it's it, the, you can find that magical spot. And, and the sad thing is, though, is if you're if it's if it's a timing deal and you find the magical spot and it's the wrong time, it was just another spot. So, yeah. you know, who knows who knows how many people over their lifetime have had that magical spot but miss that opportunity <laughs> window by minutes or hours, you know? So yeah. um, a lot of local knowledge plays into it, but it's also doing a lot of homework that'll, that'll put you on to uh, the right school of fish, whether it's a school of three pounders or a school of five pounders. Yeah. Well, on, on this epic day, we we're talking about, you sure didn't miss the time or the spot. It sounds like. Thank God I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and as as my uh, father always says, uh, I'd rather be lucky than good. So uh, sometimes Definitely. that's 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 just it. So, um, man, wow, Mike, you make me want to uh, go uh, hook up the boat and, and go fishing right now. That was an awesome story, and I'm just uh, really really happy you came on to share it with us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate. It. Thank you for having me, and I'm hoping. Uh, uh, you know, your listeners got something out of this and, and it energized them as well to get out there on the water. And remember when you do go out in the water, take a good fishing because it's, it, it, you know, they're the future of our sport. And if, if you don't have the opportunity to take a good fishing, go ask your neighbor, go ask your, you know, your, 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 your friend's kids and, and, and just grab a kid, take them fishing, put a pole in their hand and they'll, they'll never, they'll never let it go. Absolutely. It means so much to them. Definitely. Be sure to check us out on Instagram where you can scroll back through our prior posts to see the spectacular catches that our amazing guests are hauling in. And be sure to hit the follow button so you don't miss the new catches that are right around the corner. Our handle is at Telltale Fisherman. This has been the Telltale Fisherman Podcast. Thanks for sharing another great tale with us. Be sure to check out the show notes page for more info on today's show and the gear we talked about. Keep those lines tight and we'll catch you next time right here on the Telltale Fisherman Podcast.